for me in my house, season two. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is part two of chapter one, A Very Good World. And A Very Good World is exactly where we left off last time. Very good is what God pronounced over everything he created, which was literally everything, in Genesis chapter 1. And the implicit promise of Genesis 1 and 2 is that the creation will be very good. That is what God says this world will be like, but... Yeah, exactly, but... uh, But today, our world is really a poor reflection of the world as it was created, isn't it? Mm. I, I mean, from polluted politics to a pandemic to personal pain, physical, emotional, or relational... It's not hard to grasp that the world is but a shadow of its original created state. Right. Today we're asking, can the world God promised be recovered? It can. Has his plan gone wrong? It hasn't. And so here we take a giant leap. Last time we were in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1 and looked at the promise that God made of a very good world. And now we leap all the way to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John to find the promise that God kept of how this world will will ever again be very good. So this today is at the start of John's gospel, and it is good news. It's fascinating news because John 1 deliberately echoes Genesis 1, where, you know, here we find God beginning to recreate his world perfectly through Jesus. Yes, through Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, through Jesus. So, spoiler alert. (laughs) How God will make this world very good again is and will be through Jesus. That's what this passage is about. That's what the whole Bible is about, what our whole study is about, and really what all of life is about. Lauren, isn't it true that we could maybe say that life boils down to three essential questions Mm. to answer? The three biggest questions are, who is Jesus? Why did he come? And what will you do with him? So, Let's read John 1.1 and see some of the parallels with Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, we hear John's gospel start the exact way that Genesis begins. Now, all this talk about the Word is a little confusing. Why does John refer to Jesus as the Word? What is his intention? Yeah, that Greek uh, term is translated... Uh, from word, it's translated logos. Logos carried a lot of philosophical baggage in the ancient Greek culture. Mm-hmm. Ancient Greek philosophy was concerned with answering the ultimate questions of reality. They were seeking to find ultimate truth, the ultimate re- reality that, that lies behind all other things. And they came up with a term to describe that ultimate reality. And the term that they came up with was logos. Mm-hmm. The Logos came to be understood as that which gave life and meaning to the universe. Mm. And in the realm of Greek philosophy, though, this Logos was largely understood to be an impersonal force, not a personal being. Right, like this is where Star Wars gets its idea of the force. Exactly. And when we come to John chapter 1, we see that the apostle has done two things with the term Logos that, that would have been unthinkable to the Greek philosophers. Rather than an impersonal force, the Logos of John's gospel is a personal being, one who can be received or rejected by other people, 
this Lagos also became incarnate mm. as a human being mm. and manifested the glory of God. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to John 1.1 and break it down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, again we hear John's Gospel echo Genesis 1. This is no coincidence. It's not an accident. In the beginning means before there was any time or created matter, before anything else existed, there was the Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yes, if we could hit the rewind button on history and take it back to the very beginning when God created the world out of nothing, Jesus would have been there. Mm. And this is vital, right? This is not saying that Jesus was simply the first created being, right? It's not saying that he got a head start in front of everybody else. Right. Scripture teaches that Jesus has always existed. He responded to the Pharisees in John 8, 47 by saying, Before Abraham was, I am. And they didn't pick up stones to stone him because of bad grammar. They picked up stones to stone him because he, a man, was claiming to be God, claiming to be the great I am, who not only preceded Abraham, but who has always existed. Yeah, so back in Genesis 1-1, it contained there no hint of the creation of God. And here in John 1-1, there is no hint of the creation of Jesus. So that's the first thing that we learn about this hero who will make the world very good again, that he's existed forever. He is eternal. And now the next thing that we learn about him is his relationship to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God, that is, he was with God the Father. Note first, he had a relationship with the Father. That's indicated in the word with, a relationship that precedes time. The Father and Son had been together forever. And so also note the distinct personhood of Jesus. To be with someone necessitates a distinct personhood. You know, this is significant to get uh, so we don't fall into a heresy called modalism, which is what I heard as a young Christian as I attended different churches, that Jesus could take different forms or manifestations. In this heresy of modalism, the teaching is that Jesus sometimes can manifest himself as Father and sometimes as the Spirit, that they are not three distinct persons, but this is clearly contradicted in these verses and also all through our scriptures as we see Jesus is distinct from the Father and had a relationship with the Father. He was not the Father. Jesus had this testimony in John chapter 17 verse 5 where he's praying. He prays, now Father glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you, key word again, key words with you, that I had with you before the world existed. And so this is getting further into the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity. One God in triunity, in fellowship throughout all eternity between the Father and Son and Spirit. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see the Father is present. He spoke. The Spirit is present, hovering over the face of the deep. And now we know that the agent through whom the Father created was also right there, the Word, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is eternal. He has and does share relationship with God the Father. And what else? To make this as painstakingly clear as possible, if we have not figured it out by now, John adds. Yeah, he adds at the end, he adds at the end of verse 1. And the word was God. The word was God. Uh, these words are simple, and they really could not be more weighty. Mm. Jesus is God. And John wants to make this unmistakably clear in the very first verse of his book. 
You know, other gospel accounts, such as Matthew and Luke, we might see a miraculous baby born in Bethlehem, and his identity is, is you know, it's revealed a little slower. It unfolds along the way in the story. But here, in John's gospel, it is placed right in front of us. Jesus is God. The word was God. Yes, John pins all this down. Another way in verse 2, saying it this way, he was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 3, he drives it home by stating Jesus did something that only God can do, to create. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Yeah, and and in verse 3, just note the mastery of how John states this in both the positive and negative. The positive is this, all things were made through him, and then the negative, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right, it's brilliant language. He's making no room, zero case for anyone to say Jesus was created, or that Jesus created some things, but not all things. No, it's like John is saying, I can't make this any clearer or more airtight for you. If he had one of those airplanes that could ride in the sky, I think he would have done it here. The bottom line is that Jesus is God. He is co-eternal and united with God the Father, the active agent of all creation. Yeah, John's being really dogmatic. Uh, you could say even bull dogmatic mm. because he, well, why? You know, it's a good question. Why? Mm. Why is he doing this? He wants us to know that who Jesus is, is of the utmost importance in our lives. You know, we live in a culture, don't we, that is increasingly spiritual, Hmm. uh, but is hesitant to commit to saying that there is one absolute truth. To a lot of people, Jesus is fine as long as he is a flexible Jesus. You know, a Jesus that you can uh, make sure is open-ended. You know, perhaps he was a great philosopher or Jesus was somebody who had some really helpful things to say about respectful living. Or maybe he was a prophet who simply came to point us to God. But the testimony of Scripture says, no way. Jesus was not just a good man. He's God Almighty, one with the Father. And our only hope in this life is to accept him for who he really is. You mentioned the word hope. How is he our hope or our only hope? Yeah, that's where John goes next. His goal is not only to have us know who Jesus is, but why he came. And this is where all the hope comes in. And what we see as we look at this uh, this repetition between the themes of Genesis and John is not just that Jesus was present at the beginning and creating, but that he has come at the fullness of time to begin a work of recreating. See, the next theme that is repeated from the book of Genesis is John 1, 4-5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here we see the next parallel between Genesis and John. Light, darkness, and life. Just as there was darkness in the beginning, emptiness and chaos, and God was able to speak light into creation and bring life in order. In the same way, there is an emptiness and chaos in our own souls after the fall into sin. We are blinded to the glory of God and the gospel, and we are in terrible darkness. We don't see God as he is. We don't see his glory. We don't see the true identity of Jesus. We don't love the light. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of the world, this is Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. But the same God that spoke light into creation is able to speak light into the human heart and bring new life. Then just as God spoke light into creation, he speaks light into the human heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Yeah, in creation, in Genesis, the act of light was a sovereign, effortless act for God. Mm. Nothing could stop him or hinder him from that happening. And that same omnipotence, that same mighty power, is displayed in his acts of salvation. In the day of his saving power for you or me, what happened? God commanded spiritual light to appear and supernaturally illumine the darkened mind. Mm. You know, I remember this work happening in my own soul, not seeing the glory of Christ or who he was, and then one day it shone in my heart and I could see. It changed everything. It truly is amazing grace. I once was blind, blind to his glory, blind to his truth, spiritually blind, but now I see. I just want to encourage you as you think about lost family members, friends, and neighbors, that nothing is impossible with God. It doesn't matter how dark or how resistant somebody is to the gospel. If God speaks light into that heart, they will see and believe. Let's pray 2 Corinthians 4, 6 for the lost in our lives, that God would make his light shine in their hearts to give them the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So just as the first creation began with, let there be light, so the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of a new believer. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world was the dawning of a new day for sinful man. Mm. But isn't it true that, again, we live in a relativistic age Mm. and people think that there are many different lights that can illumine the path of spiritual darkness. Right. This can be seen in Eastern religions that claim illumination from figures like Buddha. That is dangerous and deceptive territory. There's only one light. Jesus is the light. He is the only one who can show us the way back to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through him. We dare not trust any other light than the light of the world. The enemy of our souls parades around like an angel of light, seeking to lead us astray. We must not fall for it. We must place our trust in Christ alone, and we will have all the light we will ever need for salvation. Okay, so that's light. But in John chapter 1, verse 4, there's also this parallel of life. Hmm. And here we might want to think back to the third day of creation in Genesis. And remember, there, there was another display of God's sovereignty when he, when he commanded the plant life to come forth. Do you remember that? Uh, each seed began to produce life after its own kind. This is Genesis 1, uh, verses 11 and 12. And that was amazing. And the same display of God's power is seen in the, in the regeneration, in the regenesis of sinners, when God creates spiritual life in spiritually dead hearts. This is also called the miracle of the new birth, when the seed of God's word is planted in the soil of the heart, Mm. and God causes it to germinate unto eternal life. Remember, only God can create life out of nothing, whether it be physical or spiritual life. And, you know, what's so astonishing here is that the work of the new creation in God's broken world, Mm. how does it begin? It starts with us. 
God begins not by taking away the thorns or the pain of the external world, but by redeeming the broken image bearers and setting them on a trajectory to glory with him. So we were physically born, but in Jesus's recreating work, we are born again when he speaks light into our hearts and we believe. We receive the Holy Spirit. He takes residence in the former emptiness and chaos of our souls and he fills it. We receive a new heart that desires God's glory and we grow up into Christ in his kingdom and his purposes and we become active agents of spreading his message of new life. We get to be a part of this recreating work as we heed the call to make disciples and we take his message to the ends of the earth. Okay, and so why did Jesus come? To begin a new creation that begins in the heart of those who believe in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, Mm. he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Mm. Each new creation in Christ is an intentional, purposeful act of God. And let this be an encouragement to you. If you are in Christ, you are not who you once were. You do not need to hold on to guilt and shame from your past. You are an entirely new creation in Christ. Let that reality wash over you. You are not only cleansed from your sin, you are made new. The old life has passed away, it has died, and behold, let this sink in, the new has come. We have seen who Jesus is and why he came. Now, how did he do this? Okay, we've seen with, yeah, and here our study brings us, right, to this important verse in our Bibles. We're going to jump down to chapter 1, verse 14 in the Gospel of John. And it says there, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sinclair Ferguson says this verse contains the shortest but perhaps profoundest explanation of the incarnation in the New Testament. I I remember coming to faith and just being in awe of this. God left his throne and came down to earth and put on humanity. God became a man. This was overwhelmingly amazing to me. I think maybe when you grow up in the church and you hear this all the time, it becomes ordinary, but... This is incredible. If you're reading a novel, this is where your jaw drops. You know that there will be one sent to be a savior and deliverer. You are waiting for the Messiah. You have many clues to point you forward. And then you come to this part of the story and you realize it is not just any man that will come. You realize the author writes himself into the story. It's not just any man that will rescue humanity. It is the author of life himself, God, the second person of the Trinity who will become a man fully God and fully man. Wow, that's another level. That is unthinkable. That is simply amazing. And we see that though the world suffered terrible consequences due to the curse of sin, this is something we'll look at next time in more detail, Mm -hmm. um, but we see and we feel that every day. And what we see here is that God has entered in. He will not leave things as they are. He came personally. Uh, He is a He's personally interested in you and me. He's not an impersonal force. Mm. And he lived among us. And he began a work of blessing and renewal in this creation. So God is beginning, has begun to recreate his world perfectly through Christ. Uh, Well, how? Well, there's a lot of details to that. And that's going to be the rest of the study and the rest of the Bible story. We will see that the plan will have some twists and will have some turns. But what we will also see, also see is that it cannot fail. It will not fail. Mm. In fact, that's the note we leave with here in the Gospel of John. It won't fail. And it suggests a question. 
How will you and I respond to an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan? John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The words not overcome mean that the world cannot understand the demands of Christ. We see this over and over again in in John's gospel that people will not understand what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. And and as a result, they will oppose him. Mm. And in the end, they kill him for their misunderstanding and their opposition. But the words not understand also have in view spiritual warfare. It can also mean never overcome, a reminder that Satan nor anyone will ever overcome Jesus or those in him. Yeah, try as it might, the darkness cannot extinguish the light. And it did try. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. The people killed Jesus. And it appeared that Satan had won and all hope was lost. But Jesus rose from the dead, victorious. We need to remember the same things in our lives. When things get dark, when it looks like all hope is lost, God is still victorious. His plan will not fail. When a bad diagnosis comes, when family members struggle, or any other hardship comes, remember, God will not waste any trial. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. He will work all things together for the good of those who love him. Light is victorious. Light will be victorious. The darkness will not overcome it. Yeah, and so the, the, the pitch black road of a pandemic or economic hardships or any of the, of the other trials and things that seem to go on and on in our lives right now, it's all no master over the light of the master who is rising within his redeemed people. And so in this episode, we want to ask uh, and, and ask, uh, in who or what are you putting your hope for yourself and for this world? Is it a political leader or a political movement, a God or an impersonal force? True hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, and he came to deliver mankind from death and darkness. To make it new, he did so by starting a new humanity, a new people who trust him by faith. So what is, what is your response to him? There really is no question more vital than this. In the coming of Jesus, God is beginning a new creation. The world will be very good again someday because of him, and it can start now in the heart of everyone who puts their hope in him. So is that you? Uh, We pray so. We pray so because it is good news and because God's plan will not fail. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. That's our divine mandate, to believe in this promise made and kept by God, and then to tell those around us that life and light come from God in Christ alone. Thanks for listening in on our Church Study Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. We'll be back in two weeks with the first part of chapter two called Broken by Rebellion. We'll see you next time.